The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 15, verses 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I am told that the children can be released. Um, K through third grade, I think, can go to their classes now. As the rest of you uh, turn to Luke chapter 15 as we look at the second part of this parable, this famous well-known parable. Uh, My name is Pastor Jay Hager. I'm a fellow pastor in this presbytery with my good friend Stacy, who I've known for years um, we've been talking uh, for the last year about uh, dates to come here and preach, and I'm just really privileged and honored to be able to have the pulpit and to dig into God's Word with you all um, this morning. Uh, this parable, it is um, oftentimes the focus is on the younger brother. We love this story of remarkable love and grace lavished on the younger brother who goes and squanders everything and returns home. But really what um, the main focus of all three of these parables and what they're building towards is the application of the elder brother. And we have to remember that Jesus' original audience here are the Pharisees, and they're asking that question, why in the world does this prophet of God or this man of God, this man who's representing God, eat with sinners? They, they just can't reconcile. Why is this holy man, supposed holy man, receiving and eating with sinners? So that's the question Jesus is answering with all, th- it's kind of a trilogy of parables, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Who is the real lost son here? And Jesus is revealing here the heart of God to the Pharisees, the heart of God that loves lost people. It's defining to us what real lostness means, what it looks like. A good name for all three of these parables could be the parable of the parties. You notice as each thing or person is found, what happens? They party. They rejoice together. They eat together. What's so important to know is that Jesus leaves that, the son that we're going to talk about today until the end to show that he is the main application for the Pharisees in that original question 
from verse 1. He is who they are to identify with and understanding their own heart condition. And we would do well this morning to consider our own heart condition. No matter how you're coming into this room, what you're bringing into this room. So let me pray for us and then we'll get, it, we'll get started. Father, we thank you that the sun is shining into this room. We pray that you would bring light where there's darkness in our life, that you would expose those places in which we withhold from you. For those who are accustomed to withdrawing, Lord, we pray that your spirit would call us to engage, to come to the party, to be in your presence, to delight in you, no matter where we've been or what we've done, we know that you love lost sinners. You love failures and misfits. Your grace is greater than any sin we bring into this room. So meet us here and minister to us by the power of your Spirit for your glory and our good. Now, congregation, I'd like to ask that you would pray for your own heart. Take a moment and pray for your neighbor. And please pray for me, the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to catch us up to the end here, I think it's appropriate to do a little bit of a review. Stacy preached on the younger brother last week and did a wonderful job. I watched it on YouTube and uh, just reminding you of a few of the highlights of um, that particular part of the story that really builds to um, this climax here at the end and Jesus' ultimate application again for the Pharisees. Um, Jesus began this parable talking about this young rebellious brother who essentially wished his father was dead, right? He asked for the inheritance. The word for inheritance here is bios, which means life. So essentially the younger brother is coming to the dad and saying, Could you, when are you going to die already? When can I have what's mine so I can go and live the life that I want? And so it's easy to imagine how utterly disrespectful and awful it is what he's asking and preposterous. And yet, the father, in this shockingly scandalous move that the Pharisees and the listeners of this parable would have been wondering, what in the world is going on? Why would he do this? He agrees to go ahead and give the inheritance and to split it two ways between the younger brother and the older brother. And we notice he's not forced to do this. He does it willingly. He makes this arrangement willingly. And as we know, the younger brother takes what's his and he goes and he just blows it all. <laughs> totally wasteful. He ends up in a pig's trough eating pig's food and he's at a total loss. He's reached the end of himself. And he wakes up and realizes that he's living in the far country, far from home, and he longs desperately to be back with the family. And what is it that makes him wake up and realize how much he needs his family. What's the mechanism that's used? It's a famine, right? It's a natural disaster. You could call it a divine disruption, if you will. And it's helpful for us to consider the links that God goes to to call a sinner back to himself. He'll cause natural disasters. <laughs> he'll, 
he'll cause things to be taken away from us, things that we treasure, so that we can be given things that he treasure, which is namely himself. And he'll go to extreme ends to do this. This famine, it takes a famine to wake this son up to his own lostness. And on the way home, he begins practicing this speech he's going to give to his dad, right? The right things he's going to say because he knows what he deserves. He deserves to be beaten. And the entire town would have been waiting almost like a public hanging for the entertainment of seeing this younger brother get what he deserves. So he knows what's at stake. He knows what he deserves. And he thinks he can talk his way out of it. He even thinks the right kind of repentance will get his father to do what he wants, which is to restore him. So even then in his repentance, his heart isn't right. And he comes with his well-rehearsed speech, but he doesn't even need words, does he? Because the father in this, one of the most amazing pictures of the love and the mercy and the grace of God, the heart of God, the father who's probably been sitting out on his front porch looking out into the distance, waiting for his son to return, finally sees his son walking home in his shame. And what does he do? He doesn't walk. He runs to his son. He humiliates himself. Rich people back then, they didn't run. There are not a lot of rich people today that run. Because walking and taking your time and showing patience means you're in control. It's a power move. I'm not going to be desperate. People do desperate things for me. People run for me. I'm going to take my time. And yet the father runs. You know, he probably has this um, long, you know, skirt on of sorts, this robe, and he's probably got to lift it up, exposing his legs, running out. The whole town can see it. And he takes his son and he covers his shame and he kisses him. I mean, think about all the ways he could have responded. Think about the ways you'd want to respond. If someone abandoned you, you want to tell him how it is. Especially father to son. Like, son, come on. What, what were you thinking? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't even need words. He just needs action. And he kisses his son. He covers his shame. And he invites him into the family. And so the Pharisees, you've got to imagine them listening to this. You have to think, They've never heard of a father doing anything like this in this culture. They've never heard of an ethic of love like this before. Jesus is the one who enters into space and time to show the world an ethic of love that they've never heard of. Jesus is saying, this father's heart is your father's heart, Pharisees. This has always been the heart of God. A heart that goes outward, that's seeking to move love outward and spread it and share it. The essence of sin is to to move inward, right? It's to look inward. It's become selfish and self-consumed. He's saying, that's not the heart of God. That's your heart, Pharisee. You need to get to um, reconnect with the Father's heart. It's been his heart since the beginning, since he created the garden, and he created Adam and Eve to be his co-rulers, to go out into creation and spread the love and the values of God. And then he called Israel to wander in the wilderness and bump up to all these other nations to share the love of God, but they weren't able to do that. And he's always been calling his people to that. He's calling us to that even today. And so the Pharisees are thinking, who is this father? What a lame father. Who does this kind of thing? What a fool. 
So far in this story, we've seen death and resurrection at play. The son dies to his family. The father submits himself to death by giving his inheritance away. The fatted calf is killed. But then from those three deaths comes new life. New life for the younger brother. Even the fatted calf's life is used to make people marry. The father is given renewed hope. And Jesus adds that they began to celebrate, to be merry, to live in delight and joy at the party. The scene is magical. Everyone is happy. They're full of joy. Except one guy. Who is this guy? Who is this party pooper? Who is this stuck-in-the-mud, hard-hearted, rule-following elder brother, and what makes him lost? It provides a very simple outline for us this morning. What makes the elder brother lost? And how could he possibly be found? So what makes him lost? It's a question, again, that Jesus wants the Pharisees and us to be forced to reconcile and deal with as they hear about this obedient, rule-following, hard-working, committed elder brother. You may think of yourself as the same. Hard-working, committed, loyal, always doing your job, making the right choices, priding yourself on always doing the good thing. Maybe you would describe yourself as a good person. Notice in verse 1, it says the elder brother is out working the field. He's doing his job. And he notices this massive scene in the distance at his house. And this is his house. It's all his stuff now. It's all been given to him. And he's probably got to be thinking, what in the world is my father up to now? Is he really taking what's mine and throwing a party for all these people? And he, has, he doesn't know yet that the sacred delicacy of the fatted calf is even being sacrificed. For of all people, his younger brother, the fool that left it all behind. And so he starts to go up to the house to investigate the scene and he comes to this group of boys who would probably be outside of the party. Children were not invited in. They had been dancing and singing. And they asked, he asked one of the boys, what's going on? And the boy tells him that his brother has come home. His father's killed the fatted calf to celebrate his return. And the elder brother, who I think really overestimates his place in the family, he acts like this parent coming home, finding their teenager has thrown a party while they've been out of town or something. You can, you can almost imagine the disdain. And his response reveals his lostness because he should be happy for his brother. He should drop everything and sprint to embrace his brother, to take his place at the party, serving, doing his duty, as the one welcoming the guests, making sure they have what they needed. That was the role of the elder brother. Honoring his father's choice in humble service to the family. He should have known his father's heart and how desperately he had dreamed of this day and how happy he would be. But he's too self-consumed. He's too selfish. He's too self-righteous to enter the party. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. The true essence of being lost is being unwilling to enter the party. To be lost is to not be willing to enter the party and delight in the Father's presence. 
So to be found is simply to come to the party, to enter the presence of the Father and be with him and be with your family and the people of God and delight in the heart of God, the lavish love of the Father. That's all. If you're coming into this room this morning with a hard heart in your own lostness, God's not calling you to make a top 10 list of things you need to do as soon as you get out of here that you need to start doing this week to get right with God. He's asking you to repent, not so much of your bad deeds, but maybe even more so of your good deeds that you think have made you right with God. He's saying, I don't need your goodness. I will give you mine. My eternal, perfect righteousness. All you need to do is receive it. And some of you are thinking, well, that's too simple. That can't be right. It's too good to be true, unless unless it is. He's asking you to simply accept the invitation and enter the party. That goes for both those who have never known the love of the Father and those who have, like this elder son, have known it but have forgotten it. Because of life circumstances, you've become self-consumed. In your sin, you've turned inward. And you can stop. Even this morning, you can surrender. It says in verse 28, he was angry. He refused to go in. This gives us an appropriate place to examine our own hearts, asking ourselves, what is behind our obedience to God? Why do you obey God? Are you in it for Him? To honor Him? To make much of Him? Or are all your good deeds and and choices really about you? Are they done to make your salvation manageable? Out of self-preservation so you don't go to hell? Does God love you because you're so good to Him? How does your goodness cause you to view other people who don't make good choices like you do? Do you resent people who get things you feel like they don't deserve? Where's your heart when you're scrolling Instagram? You're seeing everyone's best life. Is it full of resentment? Listen, you have the heart of an elder brother, and so do I. If you can't celebrate other people's victories and their goodness and the goodness of their life, if it just fills you with resentment and anger and frustration, shaking your fist at God, why don't you give me these things? If that's what you think internally and silently, or maybe even vocally, you might have the heart of an elder brother. We've got the heart of an elder brother if our choices, our goodness causes us to live in judgment of other people's goodness or lack thereof. Maybe even calling people names, referring to them as lazy or incompetent or foolish or idiotic or stupid based on what you deem appropriate. We may have the heart of an old brother if we can't celebrate other people's victories. If we lack empathy and compassion for the screw-up and the malcontent and the failures of the world. The elder brother's lostness is defined by his self-righteousness, which leads to outrage, which leads to resentment, which leads to hatred, and as Yoda would say from Star Wars, leads to the dark side. It takes us to a dark place. 
And some of you all may have been living in that place. God is calling you out. He's calling you back to the party. If you thought the youngest brother situation was bad, it's not nearly as dangerous as this. What's more dangerous than being a a foolish rebel? It's being a blind, judgmental Pharisee. And what's really scary for us, church, is that our churches are full of more elder brothers than younger ones. That's Jesus's, again, that's his main audience, is the religious elite. There are a lot of good people in this room. And I'm here to tell you that this morning, there's a lot of good people in hell. A lot of people who thought they were good enough. This parable is not primarily about the one brother who came home. It's primarily about the one who didn't celebrate. Who didn't rejoice. He's the odd man out. He's the one thing that's not like the others in these three parables, which makes it the most significant thing. Jesus is not using this parable to mainly tell us about what it looks like when a lost sinner comes home. He's telling us to show us what it looks like when a hard-hearted, legalistic, so-called Christian can't celebrate when a sinner gets saved. (laughs) The elder brother thinks that because God has saved him from a bad life that he's somehow better than other people. I heard one pastor kind of boldly lay this application out for his church, and I'll share it with you. Um, He's a big black preacher, and he has this booming voice, and it comes off a lot different than how I'm going to say it, Uh, and I wish I could say it like he did. But he says this, Listen to me, you children who grew up in Christian homes. Listen to me, you children who come to faith early in life. Listen to me, children, who have had the privilege hearing the gospel early in life, who have been rescued from a life of mayhem and a life of debauchery. That is not because you are better than anyone else. That is because God's grace and mercy saved you from that life. You don't earn God's favor by being raised in the right family or keeping a list of rules to feel better than other people. You didn't earn favor from God. The truth of the matter is that your soul is as dirty as anyone else's apart from the grace of God that is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when you forget that, that's when you're the older brother and it costs you so much. What does it cost you? It costs you delight, joy, rejoicing. Thankfully, it doesn't end there. We have this remarkable father figure in the story who, again, is so overflowing with love for his boys, his wayward boys. What does he do? He leaves that party. He leaves that place of peace and rejoicing to come and rescue his son because he loves hard-hearted sinners. And he likes to give, take the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh. And he can do that for you even today. Just surrender and accept the invitation. The father goes out, he humiliates himself again. 
And he meets his son there. And he doesn't need words from his son, but his son offers him words. And you can just hear how trite and awful they are. He doesn't get it. His heart's too hard to receive it. But he answered his father. Look, these many years, you can almost, I imagine him just like red in the face, maybe almost anger crying, you know, like he's just, it's all just like he's, he's raging. Like he's reminding him, look, these many years, I've served you. He's giving him his resume, right? I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours I mean, come on. This son of yours, my brother, so disrespectful, right? When he came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, this is catastrophizing the situation to try to prove a point. Anyone who's married in this room, you know how this works, right? To try to get your way, let's make it as extreme and awful as we can. Use extreme language. Always, never. He devoured your property with prostitutes? Really? Really? You killed the fatted calf for him. It reminds me of like my four-year-old complaining that his sister's got a popsicle and he didn't. He's just stewing in his own selfishness. He's kind of having a tantrum in my mind. He's kept it together for all these years, for all the right reasons. And how dare his father do this with his stuff? It's his fatted calf after all. What does the father say? I mean, how good is this? What would you have said to your son who talked to you that way? Father says, son, you are always with me. I mean, are you kidding me? Son, you're always with me even when you're really disrespectful and angry. Then he says, he doesn't stop there. Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Your brother was lost. He's come home, and now he's found. And that's where it ends, doesn't it? Why does it end there? Why is this the one lost thing we're not told about being found? Do you notice that? It's because Jesus is leaving it for the Pharisees and for us to decide what we're going to do. Are you going to come to the party? Are you going to receive the invitation, son and daughter? To be found, you don't have to rehearse a speech to give to God. To be found, you don't have to repay God. To be found, you don't even have to say you're sorry the right way. All you need is a willingness to admit you're lost and follow the Father into his presence and delight in his joy. Jesus wants the Pharisees to know that God's heart is to love them as well. And it's to love you as well. There's an invitation here for us. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. So as we go to the table this morning, think about this. 
The God who created the cosmos spoke it all into being, placed the stars in the sky with his fingers, sets a table of all things. Because why? Jesus loves to party. He's calling you into his presence through a meal, a meal he shares with us. He shares with the church all around the globe as they celebrate this sacred sacrament, this simple, ordinary thing. He takes simple and ordinary elements, and as we digest them, he takes those elements to do and uses them to do extraordinary things by his power through us, his people, to show the heart of God to the world. That heart is what we reconnect with whenever we come to the table each and every week as the people of God. I was reading a, a commentary on Luke by a guy named Kenneth Bailey that Stacy may have quoted as well. It's very popular, but in the commentary, he's talking about table fellowship. He's defining what table fellowship was in the Middle East, what it really represented for a, a meal to be set for people. And that's what, that's what we have here. He's, he writes this, he says, In the East, even today, to invite a man to a meal was an honor. It was an offer of peace, trust, brotherhood, and forgiveness. In short, sharing a table meant sharing life. Jesus' meals with the publicans, the prostitutes, and the poor are an expression of the mission and message of God. The inclusion of sinners in the community of salvation achieved in table fellowship is the most meaningful expression of the message of the redeeming love of God. Jesus doesn't just feed the needy and destitute and desperate. He dines with them. He hosts them. Because he loves them. And that's why we have this meal before us each and every week. We need this reminder of the bountiful and the beautiful love and grace and mercy of the one we call God, our Father, who humiliated himself to rescue sinners like us, dealing with our insults, our complaints, our resentments, our anger, our jealousy, our temper tantrums, our foolishness, our hurtful words. Jesus loved to party, and he loves to party with sinners like us. That's what we're remembering and celebrating here each and every week. That's what we're being invited into. If that's an invitation you want to reject, like the elder brother, if your heart's in a place where that sounds kind of lame, one, we're glad you're here. But two, we would say, you don't have to come. But man, we would love for you to. To reconsider what it is you call home, who it is you call Father and God, where you place your trust, and realize that the doors are still open. They won't always be open, but they're still open. And you can come just as you are here in fellowship, the covenant people of God, sharing in these promises that are all yes and amen in Jesus. And for you, believer, who's been divinely disrupted in your life, God is calling you back home. He's calling you here to strengthen you in your faith along the journey, just as he gave manna to Israel in the desert on the way to the promised land. So he nourishes us in our journey home to that new heavens and the new earth each and every week in the most ordinary of ways for the most extraordinary purposes. So let us come and rejoice in this together.